Welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the wellness manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR, and I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. I am here today with Gabby Ruggiero from EFR's prevention team. Gabby is a prevention specialist and grant coordinator at EFR, and I will let her introduce more of herself and what she does for EFR and our prevention team, but welcome Gabby to EmotionWell. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and talk a little bit about my role at EFR. So prevention specialist, what does that mean? Well, in prevention, we do substance misuse prevention, meaning we go out into the community and talk about substance use and misuse. So that means we go into schools and talk about healthy coping strategies. We go to businesses and community organizations to talk about Um, environmental strategies to prevent misuse. So we do a lot of great things, but in my role specifically, I educate people on overdose prevention. So that includes opioids and stimulants like meth. And I also help folks get Narcan, the opioid overdose reversal drug. So while we cast a wide net and talk about a lot of different substances, I focus on opioids and stimulants. Now today, I'm not speaking for folks that use drugs, and I'm certainly not an expert in harm reduction, but I do want to give an informative perspective and take an opportunity to talk about harm reduction since it's a super important topic. Um, We do want to acknowledge that people who use drugs need to be in these conversations, so we will have their perspectives linked in the show notes. I also want to say that I'm doing my best to try to destigmatize my language. And basically what that means is there's a lot of words surrounding drug use that have stigma attached to them. So you'll hear me say it a lot. Um, people who use drugs, that's a little different than saying addict or junkie. And those terms have negative connotations for some folks while others might identify that way. If they don't, we're not going to sign that language label on them. So I just wanted to make a note about that as well. All right. Well, I'm excited to learn more about harm reduction. Just for our listeners, Gabby did a uh, internal kind of harm reduction overview for EFR employees a couple of months ago, and I thought it was so interesting that I wanted to bring her on the podcast to talk a little bit about what harm reduction is and how we can think differently about people who use drugs and also just to bring awareness to something that I think has been overshadowed a little bit by the pandemic. Uh, We will be linking, as Gabby said, some great resources in our show notes. And as I was kind of going through those resources myself in preparation for the podcast, you know, one of the, it was another podcast, a River to River podcast that we'll link to, they had mentioned that you know, the pandemic really uh, kind of shifted our attention away from some things that are still happening and, in fact, happening maybe at higher rates. And so I'm really excited to speak with you about harm reduction and also talk about what's happening locally in Iowa. So for our listeners uh, who maybe are a little bit unfamiliar or a lot unfamiliar with EFR, we're located in Iowa. And so the the work our prevention team does is um, limited to, is it four or five counties in Iowa? 
four counties and generally central Iowa. Yeah, so four counties in central Iowa. But we also offer benefits outside of the prevention team that are available nationwide. So we do have a lot of listeners coming from all parts of the country. So in addition to sharing some information about what's happening locally, Gabby, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about what's going on at a national level as well. So as I mentioned, the pandemic did, did cause that shift in attention towards COVID and away from other pressing health issues, which I think were probably exacerbated by COVID um, and, you know, mental health, um, substance use are two that come to my mind. So tell us what harm reduction is and just give us kind of that high level overview for someone who maybe has no clue or maybe this is the first time they're hearing even the, the phrase harm reduction. Yeah, so to start off, let's not even put the drug use part into harm reduction and take an even bigger step back. So today to get to work, I got in my car and drove here. And driving is a dangerous activity that has a risk of crashing and getting injured, but uh, we're going to do it anyway. And so there are some things that we do to reduce the harms of driving. So when I got in my car, I put on my seatbelt. When I turned, I put on my turn signal. And all of these things reduce the likelihood of me getting hurt or getting in an accident. However, when I was driving here, I did go a little bit over the speed limit. So we know that speed is associated with crashes, but I did not engage in that harm reduction technique. So people engage with harm reduction in different ways. It exists on a spectrum and most of us aren't all or nothing people. So when we throw drug use into this idea of harm reduction, um, we know that people have used drugs as long as we have recorded history. And so we have to acknowledge that it's going to happen and that there are some harms associated with it. So harm reduction says, instead of condemning use or advocating for use, we're going to employ some strategies and ideas aimed at reducing negative consequences associated with drug use. And just like with driving, this exists on a spectrum and is different depending on the individual. And in harm reduction, you'll hear this phrase quite a bit that we need to meet people where they're at. So someone might want to stop using drugs altogether or engage in abstinence. However, that isn't always attainable for people. We could do a whole podcast on barriers to care and why it's so difficult to seek treatment. Um, So acknowledging that as well as the fact that some people don't want to stop using drugs, um, we have to think of other strategies that don't involve eliminating use altogether. So for these folks, there's a lot of different things we can do to reduce harms. We can give them Narcan, which is the opioid overdose reversal drug. We can also provide education about the harms of substances, and that's something we do in prevention, not just harm reduction. And this gives people the knowledge they need to make informed choices. And then kind of on the other end of the spectrum, we um, can give strategies to help somebody use drugs in a safer manner. So, for example, that could mean providing somebody with a unused syringe or needle when they are using so they don't use the same needle more than once, which can potentially um, increase the likelihood of transmitting diseases. So no matter what 
somebody chooses to do or chooses not to do. Huge part of harm reduction is respecting the person and respecting their choices. And when we approach these things, we want to make sure that we aren't judging people. And if we do provide services to people who use drugs, we want to provide them without force and letting them you know, approach it in whichever way they want to. Yeah, I think I mentioned this when we recorded a podcast. It's been almost two years now with Hannah, who used to be on the prevention team and is no longer with EFR. I, uh, we were talking in that episode about opioids, and I referenced that you know I was a kid growing up in the 80s, and I will never forget the commercial of This Is Your Brain, This Is Your Brain on Drugs. And I just think you know, that commercial didn't really tell me anything other than, okay, drugs are bad for your brain. But I like how you're saying this, this gives people um, – the information and it gives people um, awareness to maybe have some control over what what they're choosing to do with their lives to reduce the harmful effects that those drugs could have on them. So I love the example you gave about driving because you're right, driving is one of the riskiest things we can do in any given day. And yet uh, there are some harm reduction strategies that we adopt and others that we completely overlook or choose to, you know, not not adhere to. So I like that example. I think it it does help just kind of, br- you know, bringing that the concept of harm reduction into everyone's perspective and everyone's life, not just with drug use. So you had mentioned that uh, – Part of harm reduction is a social justice movement. And do you want to explain a little bit about that and kind of what you see changing in public health strategies or the direction that you see this movement going? Yeah, so not only is harm reduction, um, you know, strategies to help reduce harms associated with drug use, but a huge part of it is also this social justice movement built around the idea that people who use drugs have rights and we need to advocate for them. And, you know, thinking about this whole conversation, we do need to mention the stigma against people who use drugs. And unlike driving, using drugs is a stigmatized activity. Um, A lot of people think that it's a moral failing, but generally as a society we're starting to shift our perspective to the idea that addiction is a brain disease and we should treat it as a medical condition Um, and however there's still a lot of pushback to this idea of harm reduction so there needs to be some advocacy there and um, this advocacy has led to a body of research that continues to grow Um, that shows that harm reduction is really effective. It's really effective. Um, It reduces infectious disease transmission. It increases engagement in treatment. It decreases overdoses. And it also is better for the fiscal health of the community. So uh, because of all this research, public health is starting to go, okay, you know, prevention is great, but it's um, sometimes folks are beyond prevention. So what are we going to do to help them? And um, when we think about what we're going to do or how we're going to engage in harm reduction, it's important that people who use drugs are involved as we start to shift, uh, shift our strategies and thinking about how we can help our community. Another part of this uh, movement is centered around health inequities. 
and it acknowledges that harm reduction is going to be easier for some people to engage in than others. So it might be because of their situation in life or who they are. So medicated assisted treatment requires someone to go get a medication every day. So if I don't have a car, I'm not gonna be able to do that and engage in that harm reduction technique. If I'm someone that is discriminated against because of the color of my skin and I go to the doctor and they just assume that I use drugs chaotically, I'm probably not going to want to engage in healthcare as much, so that's going to make it harder for me to take care of myself and engage in harm reduction. So the the social justice aspect also acknowledges that it, it's hard to engage in these things for some folks. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about overdose deaths. I know in that episode of River to River that we'll link to, it said that uh, nationwide overdose deaths increased 30% in 2020. And so can you tell us a little bit about what's happening um, at the local level? And then you can even go into what's happening at the national level. But I know that there's always the opioid conversation, but what's happening with meth? Because it seems like maybe 12, 15 years ago, I was hearing a lot more about meth than I hear now. Yeah, that's a really good observation. And I hear that in the community all the time that, you know, why are we talking about opioids? Because meth is is such a huge issue, Um, but both of them are really important to talk about. Um, Yeah, overdoses did increase by 30% nationally in 2020. In Iowa specifically, they increased by 20%. And to go even uh, more locally in Polk County, which is where Des Moines is, they increased 67% from 2018 to 2020, and that's not unusual for metro areas. Yeah, so there's a lot of reasons why that is. It's it's a continuation of the opioid epidemic, but um, part of that continuation is the rise of fentanyl, which is an extremely powerful opioid that is finding its way into all types of different substances. So it's in other opioids like heroin so if someone is using fentanyl intentionally or unintentionally because of its potency it's really hard to dose so it increases the likelihood of overdose and fentanyl is also in in other substances so we might think of the typical drug user or the person who's overdosing as a, a chronic user or someone who uses heroin And that simply isn't the case. Um, You mentioned meth, and you wouldn't think that stimulants and and meth, or excuse me, stimulants and opioids would go together. Um, But we're finding that there are, there's fentanyl in meth. And so half of the deaths associated with meth nationally in 2020 also included fentanyl and 70% of cocaine deaths involved fentanyl nationally in 2020. So, you know, it's it's not just who we, we think it would be. We're also seeing folks that have been on prescription opioids and using them legally for a long time that there might be a drug interaction or they're using alcohol as well as opioids. So there's a risk of overdose there. And even more recently, among young people, uh, we're seeing a rise, a sharp rise in overdose deaths. And 
part of this is because there are pills that are being manufactured illegally to look like Oxycontin or Percocet or something like that. And instead, they're made to look like that, but they actually have fentanyl in them. So someone might just be, you know, wanting to have a fun night or something like that, and it turns out that there's fentanyl in in something they thought was safe because it was legal. So all of these things are contributing to the rise in overdose deaths and you know, here in Iowa and the Midwest, as well as the West, there there's still a huge meth problem. And the national attention has been focused on opioids for so long that I think we, we've lost, lost track of people who use meth. And unfortunately, you know, you mentioned 12, 15 years ago, the, the meth use rates are higher than they were then. And the amount of people seeking treatment for meth in Iowa is higher than it was then. So... Fortunately, with this new funding that funds my position under a state opioid response grant, um, I can talk about stimulants, and that's the first time that's happened maybe ever at employee and family resources in our prevention team because it's such a, a growing concern. Yeah, I just think, you know, and for a lot of people, their only knowledge of drug use is from, if, if they're not if they have never used drugs or known someone to use drugs, they might be watching Breaking Bad or they might be watching the new one, Dope Sick, and that's just kind of what they see and they think that maybe all drug use looks like that or maybe they have the misconception that someone who overdoses is a chronic drug user and they use regularly, whereas, like you said, a lot of times you don't know what you're getting yourself into and if something that you ingest maybe for the first time ever has fentanyl in it, you know, there may be no, no turning around from that. So yeah, and they're even finding fentanyl in cannabis or marijuana. So oh wow, yeah, and that's something that's happening nationwide. So if we think about someone who's using cannabis, there's no risk of overdose from cannabis um, by smoking it. So if somebody is is smoking and they think they're you know they're they're not don't have a tolerance to opioids that's especially concerning that that's starting to happen yeah let's talk about connection and harm reduction uh again i'm referencing that podcast i listened to but it was stated the opposite of addiction is connection and that's something that's a concept that i'm familiar with uh but i i'm curious to hear from you about the relationship between connection and support and harm reduction. Yeah, that's uh, harm reduction and connection really do go hand in hand and require communities to come together to advocate for people who use drugs. Here in Iowa, the Iowa Harm Reduction Coalition really um, is a model for making those connections. So they will literally meet people where they're at and bring them services and provide um, connections to resources as well as just being there to um, listen to somebody. I think um, it's important to acknowledge that uh, chaotic drug use usually stems from trauma. So someone might have never talked to somebody about something difficult that happened in their life. And so having conversations and, and being open to listen to someone without judgment and uh, lend a hand really can go a long way if someone has never heard that before. 
earlier today, um, someone from our substance abuse services team here at EFR mentioned that that's something she hears a lot when she talks to folks that um, have an addiction, that they go, oh, I, you know, no one's ever acknowledged me in this way. And that's, you know, that's concerning and something that we can all do. Yeah, absolutely. What about, we've, we've talked a little bit about this offline, but I thought it was an interesting conversation, so I'm going to bring it into the podcast. 12-step uh, programs and how they can, you know, how they're different from harm reduction in theory and how they can also maybe be a support or a, a way that people who are looking to, um, looking for that connection can perhaps feel safer and supported. Yeah, so 12-step programs do have a, an important role to play in communities. They work for a lot of people, um, but they don't work for everyone. And so when we think about connections and support groups and different types of treatment, 12-step um, programs are usually associated with abstinence. And as I mentioned before, that's not necessarily for everyone. Um, so if there's a way that we can provide support in a non-judgmental way, in any way, that's wonderful. Um, however, things like medicated assisted treatment, which is where someone takes a medication to help them manage their substance use, um, those are shown to be very effective forms of treatment and can help um, alleviate some of the negative consequences associated with drug use in their life. So. 12-step programs do have an important place in our communities, but they're just one piece of the puzzle, and um, there's still a lot of stigma for folks that are using medicated-assisted treatment. All right. You've mentioned Narcan a few times, and it, you know, I, I feel like this was within the last five years. There was a lot of attention around librarians, public spaces having access to Narcan. And so can you tell us a little bit about Narcan and um, what it is, how people can get it, uh, and why it can be a life-saving um, harm reduction strategy? Yeah, Narcan is an opioid overdose reversal drug. So I want to be clear that it's only for opioid overdoses. And Narcan specifically is a type of naloxone, naloxone being the generic form, Narcan being a name brand, and it is a nasal spray. So anyone who can flex their fingers can give somebody Narcan, which is what makes it so amazing um, to have in communities. So in Iowa, you can go to a pharmacy and get Narcan without a prescription and there's a level of anonymity there if you don't feel comfortable talking to your doctor um, you just have to say I'm in a position to help somebody um, so that's that's wonderful that you can just go and, and get it you can also have it sent straight to your door through a telenaloxone program so you have a quick consultation with the pharmacist online and then they get that Narcan sent straight to you and across the country, there has been a huge push to get Narcan in, um, in public spaces, in the hands of people that work with folks who use drugs, and of course, in the hands of people who use drugs, because most overdoses do occur in the home. And so it, it is important for us to 
have Narcan in public spaces, but that's that's not going to, to solve all of our problems. You mentioned uh, libraries, and libraries uh, tend to be a place where people of all walks of life go to the library and use the wonderful services provided. And that's a great example of a workplace that they can do a you know a 20 minute training on using Narcan and then feel empowered to help their patrons. And um, we're going to start doing those types of trainings here in Des Moines with the public library. So um, it's really grown into a movement of people feeling empowered, like I can actually do something to help with the overdose crisis. When we're talking about Narcan though, it is important to acknowledge that it's only one piece of the puzzle. This is only one harm reduction technique. And I've heard many times from pharmacists that this is um, kind of like a fire extinguisher. It's the the last ditch effort to save somebody um, by putting out the fire. But the, you know, what about the smoke alarm? What about other techniques to prevent fire? Uh, so it's kind of um, something to think about that Narcan isn't the the end all be all, um, although it is super important because. If someone isn't alive, they can't get the services they need. If someone isn't alive, they can't have the option to seek treatment and um, you know, live happy, healthy lives. So Narcan is really important, but we need to take a step back and think about you know, what's causing the overdoses sure. in the first place. Yeah. So as someone who doesn't use drugs, if we have listeners who say, you know, I don't use drugs, this is a completely new concept to me, what can they do? What could be some good next steps for them? Well, we have linked a lot of great resources in the show notes. And educating yourself is, is a great start for many topics, especially in social justice. So starting with um, just listening to people who use drugs, whether that be virtually or in person or even going to an open AA meeting is a great way to you know, take a, take a neutral stance and just listen. And I want folks to think of this conversation as not an end, but as a beginning, as a starting point, because we are doing such a a basic overview. So education, always a great thing to do. Um, But since we've mentioned Narcan so much, um, people can learn the signs and symptoms of an opioid overdose and get Narcan and let people know that they have Narcan um, and help other people get Narcan. So always a great thing to do, especially because here in Iowa, you can get it for free. That's that's a key point I haven't mentioned yet. You can get it for free, uh, which is wonderful because a lot of times people go, oh, I don't need that. Um, but if it's free, it makes it a lot easier for them to, to say yes. You can also start to think about advocacy for the rights of people who use drugs. And if you are so inclined to take that extra step, it's important to take cues from people who use drugs or people in the harm reduction community because they've been doing this work for decades and they know, um, you know what's going on, what efforts are already being done. Great saying also in harm reduction is nothing about us without us. So as outside observers, there are a lot of great things we can do, but we want to make sure that we're not talking over 
And the last thing, of course, we already talked about connection, but being there for someone and listening. Um, if you do know that somebody uses drugs, don't make assumptions about their use. Don't assume that their use is consuming their life or it's chaotic. Um, it, it's really different for everyone. So making sure you're listening and taking a step back is a really great place to start. Well, this was a great conversation, Gabby. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And as we mentioned a couple of times, we have show notes with great resources. There's a direct link to harmreduction.org where you can learn about the principles of harm reduction. And we will also link to the Iowa Public Radio River to River podcast um, from August of 2021. And that podcast is specifically about the rise of drug overdoses in Iowa. So thank you so much for being here and for all the work you're doing in our community uh, in central Iowa. So if anyone has questions uh, for EFR, you can reach us at 800-327-4692. Thanks for listening to Emotion Well. Please subscribe to us and don't forget to rate us. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Emotion Well is hosted by Johanna Dunleavy and produced by Emily Wonkong.